Hello and welcome to the Industry Leaders Podcast, where we talk to the leaders of some of the most exciting direct and retail brands and learn the real stories behind their success, their challenges and their plans for the future. I'm Sarah Colboyle and this podcast is brought to you by More2, the marketing science people. show with me today is Neil Campbell. Neil is the Chief Growth Officer at Small, which is the fantastic eco brand that you really should have heard about by now. Um, Incidentally, actually, if you are looking for an example of a fresh and really effective direct-to-consumer website, they've done a really good job of telling you exactly what they do and why it matters. And they've made it look really simple, which I think we'll all know is much easier said than done. So Neil, listen, I'm delighted to have you on the podcast. Uh, Thank you for coming along. Um, How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, so I wonder, could you just tell us um, what is Small and what have you set out to do? Yeah, so first thing, it's probably worth explaining to people that Small is spelled S-M-O-L, so it's a bit of a kind of play on words, but very simply, we are a subscription kind of cleaning business, and we've set out to make the laundry and sort of cleaning industry much more sustainable and much more planet friendly. And we do that by you know, sending uh, cleaning products like laundry capsules and dishwasher tabs and cleaning sprays directly to consumers' homes. So very much like a sort of a, you know, a dollar shave club, but for laundry and kind of household cleaning products. When we sort of say that we're kind of be more sustainable, what for us that, that means is a lot less single use plastic uh, kind of packaging. The odd time that we do use kind of plastic bottles, it's 100% you know, PCR, so post consumer consumer recycled bottles and we combine that with a bottle return scheme so we're kind of reducing the, the plastic waste it's also about sort of no animal testing or no animal derived products you know you get some things like fabric conditioner that actually have animal fats in them in some cases and so we eliminate those we try to reduce the co2 by just shipping less water around the country so a lot of these kind of sprays are actually a little bit of chemical and a lot of um, water so we kind of you know, ship you the, the cleaning agents and then you dilute them yourselves and reuse the bottle. We also just reduce sort of unnecessary kind of chemicals. There's things in, you know, lots of cleaning products like foaming agents, which are designed to make you look like your kind of products being cleaned really well. So we kind of get rid of those. We also help people kind of manage the dosage. So, you know, we have things like pumps or, you know, so you're not pouring fabric conditioner, you're sort of pumping it out. So that means that you used exactly how much you need, not just kind of everyone loses those little plastic balls that you're going to put in and it's far too much kind of into the machines. So that's another one. For us, it's also kind of, you know, generally encouraging people to kind of wash less. There's a lot of, you know, we do on your know, kind of wash well. We have a sort of hashtag wash well kind of program where we sort of say, when should you actually run the machine? How do you actually refresh your clothes? And when do you really need to kind of, you know, wash it sort of? 40 degrees versus 30 degrees because there's a massive sort of energy difference in that and just things like you know are you aware of how much energy it costs to um to run your washing machine and that's really interesting because that actually hits people's pockets as well so at the time when everyone's kind of worried about energy crisis and cost of living actually washing less and washing better is really good and then finally on our kind of bit of sustainable we do a lot for just sort of you know those who are disadvantaged and a bit less fortunate than ourselves so you know we support a program called the hygiene bank that really helps kind of distribute laundry capsules to food banks then we also do a thing called suds in school where we kind of raise money to really help kind of people who are sort of hygiene poor and help them get over that. So yeah, lots of things to kind of make the industry a lot more kind of sustainable. Yeah, and you're uh, quite an unusual, I'm going to say, consumer brand when you tell people to actually buy less. That's not. As long as you buy it from us, we, we don't mind if you kind of buy it less. And it's interesting because being a direct consumer company that you get real data on people's usage habits, you know, so you get to see exactly how much they're using. You get to see the range of, you know, kind of usage. And I'd love to do a tool where people can come and sort of say, like, where do you sit and how much actual detergent you're using? Things like that. The central to what we kind of do and really the kind of founding ethos of the company was 
eco-friendly or planet-friendly or sustainable products, whatever you want to help people make those choices. We really believe it's about getting 95% of people to make those choices, not the sort of 5%. And in order to do that, you really have to hit a kind of mass market sort of proposition. So the founders of Small were um, ex-Unilever. And so if anyone understands a kind of you know, a Unilever a mass market proposition, it's Unilever. And so for us, that means that the products have got to work. So it's got to be a case of you know, they've got to be effective. You know, you don't want to have to use five times as much to get half the kind of cleaning power. So they've got to work and sort of be as good as the big brands on that level. They've got to be at a price point that matches as well. There's no point in sort of saying this is great. It's all natural, but it costs 50% more because that's not a, a feasible choice for the mass market of consumers. And then almost the last part of that is, oh, yeah, and the product is sustainable as well. And we do all this kind of great stuff that I kind of talked about. So combining those has basically sort of been the secret behind our success and the reason why we've kind of grown quite well and we're very pleased with where we're going. Yeah, but you're in a tough space because, you know, the big brands and you're a challenger brand, obviously, but the big ones like Unilever and, you know, Procter & Gamble, they've been around for so long and there's so much familiarity. How do you convince a customer to pick you over them when they've been using you for probably since they were a toddler? Yeah, it's an interesting one. And I think if you were to you know, choose your competition, not that anyone ever gets to choose their competition, but if you get to choose your competition, you wouldn't choose for you know global international giants like Procter & Gamble and Unilever who have been in people's homes and in people's minds, you know, and are backed up with huge advertising budgets to sort of, you know, and have this great brand recognition. I don't think they're the ones that you'd kind of choose to go up against, but it is possible. And the way we kind of do it is that you've got to start very much as a almost the sort of niche brand. So you've got to really target the sort of early adopters and the people who are sort of very motivated by this, even though that, you know, we probably could have targeted them with higher price points and everything, but we're targeting them with a kind of mass market proposition. And through that, you sort of build deeper relationships, you get really good feedback on the product, you kind of quickly make changes to the kind of product, you know, that kind of flows through in, in everything that you kind of do. You know, so for example, the early iteration of small products, they had sort of plastic clamshell packaging made out of recycled plastic, but Again, people sort of said, look, that's not what we want. We really want to kind of go to full cardboard. When we changed that, that was a kind of big change. And so by having that sort of, you know, motivated kind of core base that you can learn from and test new products on and see what works and test propositions, you can sort of just build and sort of feed your way into a kind of a sizable kind of customer base and almost a where we are now, where we're kind of building a essentially a mass market brand, you know, we're going for sort of increased awareness and everything that kind of comes with that. So you've got to start small, obviously, but you can do it if you have the right product and the kind of right learning mechanisms in place. Yeah. And your subscription model, I think actually it's really good. I tried it out earlier and there's a little tool on the website where you can say how many washes you do a week and it'll recommend how frequently you get your subscription, which is, you know, from a consumer point of view, it's quite fun to use and it's really, really good. Yeah. That's one of our kind of core principles, actually, is that we've got to be convenient and a lot of people come to small with a kind of conception, oh, is it a monthly box? I don't use that much. It's just me at home or, you know, and our whole thing is that, no, no, it is entirely kind of tailored to you. Firstly, you can try the product for a pound. We just ask you to kind of cover the postage. So you can try the product for only a pound across all our kind of core products. And then when you set up the subscription, the subscription, you know, as I said, we ask you some basic questions and that could mean, oh, your box of uh, capsules is coming once every two weeks if you're a heavy user, or it could be it's coming once every six months if you're kind of an occasional user. And that's really important to us because, you know, as I said before, we don't want you to wash more. You know, we want you to kind of, you know, to fit in with your kind of schedule. And so in, in this world, there's a real problem that if you give people too much product, then they kind of go, well, I've got loads. I'll never get through this. Cancel. 
And that's what we don't. We want to kind of have this sort of magic service whereby, you know, just as you think you're getting low and you're thinking, I wonder, you know, if I need to get some more small, it turns up on your doorstep. And we have enough data now that we can do that and we can sort of, you know, help people kind of make those choices and guide them towards what's right for them and things. So, yeah, it works well. Mm-hmm. And are you worried about subscription fatigue at all amongst consumers? It's an interesting one because definitely there is, you know, if, if you ask people the kind of, you know, world of, I have a Netflix subscription, I have, you know, Disney Plus and Now TV and Amazon Prime and maybe Apple Plus as well. And, you know, suddenly lots of people go through the hang on, I'm just simply not watching this enough to, you know, pay, even if it is only sort of six pounds a month or whatever the kind of the cost is. And so I think people sort of react badly to that and sort of go, right, we have to get off that. I think it's for us, it's a little bit different because these are kind of products that people need. You know, they are commodity products or they are, you know, kind of household cleaner. I just need to have some sort of household cleaner. And so I think it's slightly different in that way. But at the same time, we wouldn't ever want someone to kind of resent us kind of having a subscription with them. So one of the things that we do to build trust is that we would never send anything out to a customer without informing them that they're you know going to be billed. And if you kind of contrast with the Netflix, who will happily bill you, you know, regardless of whether or not you've switched on the TV or not kind of thing. And by the way, they know how much you're watching. So they know if you're kind of using it or not. So we would never do that. And I think that's one of the core things that we use to kind of build trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually that word trust is important for the disc- you know, the disruptor brand. So yeah, that's the biggie. But can you tell me, because your background personally, I think is a little bit unusual in, in retail and that you, you come from engineering originally. Well, I'm not sure is that, you know. Yeah, I think it depends. I think often maybe people who often founders you know, of companies tend to be, you know, they're in for the love of the product. But then I think maybe someone with an engineering background who's maybe a bit more kind of, you know, in on the data and a little bit less. Yeah. I don't want to use emotional, but you, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's probably a little bit, um, it's a bit different from a marketing kind of background. So I think you're right. A lot of people in kind of marketing backgrounds come from a much more sort of emotional, empathetic, understand the kind of customer. My background, I'm chemical engineer by kind of training. And in fact, my um, first ever graduate job uh, after I graduated was I used to work on oil rigs in West Africa. So I used to spend quite a lot of time in Angola and the Congo, but that's a kind of a very long time ago. But the main reason I kind of got into to engineering was that I wanted to do practical maths. You know, I was a very kind of numbers focused kind of geeky person. And, you know, I really liked that sort of scientific method. And for me, chemical engineering was just a really way to kind of apply those numbers to kind of real world situations. And actually through my kind of work in startups and kind of places like small, you know, I get an opportunity to kind of basically apply that knowledge all the time so in the subscription business inspection direct consumer i'd say you have all this data on customers you know exactly how much they're buying if you change something on the website you know exactly you know how people kind of react to that and so that basically means i have this really fun job where i spend my day devising or helping my team to devise little experiments that will you know what will customers do? So, you know, if we kind of configure the products in this way, how does it look? If we put this content into our ads, you know, not only do they convert, but what kind of customers do we get, you know, eventually three months down the line once we kind of work out what kind of subscribers they are. And so it's just really fun to do that in a kind of company that is large enough that we've got enough customers that it's, you know, there's enough customers kind of doing that, but also small enough that you can kind of get into the detail. You know, if I was working at Unilever or something, it would be far too big and I'd never be able to kind of run a little bit of analysis myself or design a little test to kind of do this stuff. And so, yeah, it's just really fun that way. And and actually most of my kind of career has been in in those sort of like data focused sort of series B kind of startup companies where, you know, we're looking at this stuff growing. And to come back on your kind of point around sort of marketing and the more emotional angle, actually a lot of marketing is kind of moving that way. And this sort of thing of kind of growth marketing, and I've, you know, I've obviously got a chief growth officer title. Growth is really 
how do I think about the full life cycle of the kind of company and, you know, think about the acquisition, but also what do the customers become once I've acquired them and once I have a relationship with them? But how do I underpin all that with data? You know, so how do I make sure that I know exactly what's going and tease out these insights about what works and what doesn't work? And you need the kind of data to do that. So I'm not the person to, you know, give you an amazing kind of TV ad and I never will be, but I'm definitely the person to tell you what kind of customers TV ads produce and if they're any good and that kind of stuff. I quite like it that way. And has anything surprised you about how customers react to new products or, you know, new things that you've tried? Well, the thing surprised me actually is is just how different kind of customers are. You know, it's small as the first time I kind of worked in the cleaning industry, you know, I've kind of our consumer goods sort of industry. You know, before that I was, you know, working in food and drink with naked wines or in sort of fintech and wealth management with Moneybox. And certainly the two things surprised me it's small. One is just how into the kind of, you know, or how attached people are to their kind of laundry in the sense of, you know, they will have a scent and, you know, we have customers who rave about, oh my God, this smells amazing and it's so good. And, you know, other customers who are like, oh yeah, it's terrible. I just can't get it. Can you, I love the idea. You know, can you just, you know, change the scent for me? It's strange that you get that sort of, you know, polarization and kind of opinions and things like that. So that's all just kind of really interesting. And then the other is just, quite how much kind of people vary in terms of, you know, how they react to things. So, you know, when we kind of try things on the website, you know, you think you're going to get one response and then you you just get something kind of totally different on a kind of different level. One thing, for example, we have a a, what's called a card abandon flow where basically people who have got to the point of they've given us their email address, but they haven't checked out, we just try and sort of convert them. And yeah, we tried to convert them more by giving them a discount and we got less people. Really? Because, yeah, I think people just look at. But firstly, you know, it's hard to give a discount off something that's that's a pound to try it. <laughs> so you know, it's quite hard work. Yeah. And so we end up kind of giving a discount off a sort of future order. But also, I think people kind of thought, oh, that just feels a bit spammy, and I'm not so interested anymore. Yeah. So that's one of those kind of surprising things where we kind of go, wow, I was convinced that was going to be the other way, but the data is the data, and as long as you've tested it properly, then that's what yeah. you've got to go with. Yeah. And have you tested like a freebie at that stage? Um, we haven't tested a freebie because that obviously costs a lot of money. And there's a general thing in kind of growth is that, you know, firstly, like good customers are kind of found, not made, or certainly they're 80% found and about 20% made. And so you've got to be really careful about, you know, who you let sort of in as a customer. If you lower the boundaries so much that the product is free, you'll get lots of customers but the quality will come down massively. And so that just kind of costs you. So we've never gone that far just because it would cost us a lot. But we're always looking for mechanisms that make it very easy for people to kind of get the product. So a lot of our customers that we have an sort of ongoing relationship with, you know, we work on systems whereby if you're getting a pack anyway, how do we give you, you know, the opportunity to test another product because we're shipping it to you anyway. And then that we can effectively do for free and things like that. So that's lots of things that we're kind of looking at. Yeah, for sure. And am I right in saying that you sell through some Sainsbury's stores? Uh, we do, yes. We're a part of the kind of Sainsbury's sort of future brands kind of program. And so we're probably in about 450 or so uh, Sainsbury's store. Again, everything for us is a kind of test at this stage. And so we kind of put it out there and see how customers react. We do lots of things like, you know, and this is where I get into the data and all geeky again, which is, you know, do customers who have a Sainsbury store, they're more likely to then join small or are they more likely to cancel their small subscription because they can buy it in Sainsbury's? Do people who join us tell us that they find us in Sainsbury's? These are all the kind of things we test when we kind of now go into kind of retail distribution. And ultimately, we are a cleaning brand and therefore you have to be in the place where people buy their cleaning products. 
And for 95% of people, that is in a supermarket. So we'd be mad not to kind of try it in some form. Mm. And have you been in there long enough that you can start to make some observations about whether it's a good avenue of discovery for you? Yeah, so we've been in there um, a year now, and we're just right at that point of sort of point of decision of like, okay, do we continue or how do we reconfigure it in the kind of future? So we're kind of going through that at the minute. And so, yeah, we're just working out what works, but we're not 100% sure yet at what the future path is. And I think I'm right in saying also that you're, you've been on a bit of a, a recruitment drive lately. So can you tell me a little bit about how you go about building your own team? You know, what people you look for, what skills you look for and how you try to manage that? Because that's a, a dark art if ever there was one. Yeah, well, it's, uh, when you get into kind of management, you spend a lot of time sort of finding the right people and then you know, hopefully kind of getting out of their way and, and letting them kind of get on with things. And so me, in terms of how I kind of run the team, as I said before, I kind of do a bunch of acquisition stuff. I do some engagement stuff and some data. And then we obviously work very closely with kind of product because a lot of growth isn't just about acquiring more customers or sending them emails. It's actually about what is the product configuration that sort of makes the whole thing work and it's this sort of combined audience and product and everything else. But on the kind of people side of things, so, you know, I have various people who run chunks and I always like if people have a, you know, a thing that they own that is theirs, that is their responsibility. So I have someone who looks after performance marketing, so TikTok and Facebook and Google ads and things like that. I've got someone who looks after influencers, which is someone we're trying to build up, someone who looks after kind of partnerships and, you know, both are kind of, affiliate partnerships that are offline and then someone who does engagement and you know, a team of two who do sort of data but what we're kind of looking for there is can we give them something that's you know theirs to own and therefore you know they can take pride in pushing it forward and you know really kind of making it happen and sort of owning those results and so we try to divide up so even on on our data side we have one guy who looks after or kind of data reporting and how we can report that out to the business. And another guy who looks after the more ad hoc analysis, oh, right, I've got this thought, you know, it's more kind of changes every day. So you kind of give them that ownership. And then when you're recruiting people in, so I'm always looking for people who can handle that, you know, so can sort of say, right, I don't need to be told what to do. I just need a bit of kind of guidance and, you know, someone, my job then is to sort of come and sort of say, are you being ambitious enough? Are you testing this in the right way? You know, do we have the right metrics? do you need me to go and remove a kind of a barrier for you? And so what I'm really looking for then is people who firstly have the kind of functional skill to kind of be able to operate at that level. Secondly, are open to so this idea of experimentation and testing and bringing data into kind of what they're kind of doing. But then thirdly, just have the ambition to kind of go, right, I want to take this and I want to make it and you know, try stuff out. And then, yeah, that's kind of how I recruit the team. The major thing I really look for anytime I ask kind of interview questions and things is curiosity. If people are kind of curious about how things work and they're in the kind of right mindset to kind of work in a sort of growth team. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned there that you're kind of branching out into influencer marketing. Can you tell me how have customers responded to that so far, do you think? Yeah, well, so influencer marketing kind of fits into a much wider kind of sphere. And I guess the journey we've been on is firstly, we start off kind of going TikTok. We want to know if TikTok is something that we are going to invest in or not. And it's okay if the answer is no, if we just go, it's not for us. But what's not acceptable is you kind of go, oh, we're not sure. Should we spend some more money? So we went out and sort of said, let's spend money on TikTok and make that happen. Now, with TikTok, it's short form video. Video is obviously a lot harder to produce as kind of creative content. So we had to kind of build up with our design team 
okay, we just need people who can produce this content for us. And we find out the kind of best way to do that is mostly kind of in-house because you get all the learnings yourself. And you need tools to sort of help you out and working out and say, okay, maybe TikTok's not getting me sort of clicks and conversions, but what are these impressions worth? And is it shaping other channels? And we generally kind of got that working very well and we got comfortable with it. One of the added bonuses is that all the social media platforms are moving to short form video. So, you know, Facebook, Instagram stories and reels and, and everything. So even on YouTube kind of short videos. So what we find is that we're producing all this content for TikTok and then it works on these other channels as well. But then, you know, the demand for content is so high that you sort of say, okay, we can't just do it all in-house. We've got to look sort of outside. So we sort of started off the influencer bit by kind of going, we just need content creators and we want more video kind of coming our way. And so we started off doing some of that stuff, you know, paying for it, getting some of the kind of UGC kind of you know, user videos. And then we kind of thought, look, we have a product which is very mission driven. People really love the product and they really love sharing the fact that it's kind of doing something in the world. So we just kind of ticked all those boxes of saying, you know, people like this. It's the kind of product that people would actively kind of share and kind of talk to their audience. And so where we are on that journey, and I admit we are very, very early days in this, but we've got someone working on it. We're starting to kind of scale it up saying, okay, what would a paid influencer kind of program look like? What are the kind of elements that you need to kind of make that work? What's the right mix of macro influencers and micro influencers and actually maybe even the nano things? And so we're kind of hitting or we're kind of testing a few things around a program, which is on the nano side, it's much more about, okay, we just give them free product and we give them a kind of like an affiliate, you know, so if they generate a kind of customer, then we kind of pay them a little bit of money for that. And then on the macro side, it's a case of, okay, it's paid, but what does the brief have to be? How do we kind of, you know, balance the right size of influencer, et cetera, et cetera. So it's still very early days for us, but we're kind of making kind of small strides. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a very innovative culture where you just kind of think, let's try something and see if, if it works. It does, if it doesn't. Yeah, it depends if you think that's an innovative culture or kind of experimentation uh, culture. But I think it's definitely a bit of both. Certainly, you know, as a company, we're innovative because we're always out there sort of thinking of new products and new ways to kind of remove plastic from sort of people's homes and things. So we're always kind of out there doing that. And we have a design team who are you know, very, very focused on making smaller brand and sort of making sure that everything that we kind of do, you know, really kind of high quality and, and they do an amazing job of that. And then I guess my job is to kind of come in and sort of say, right, but how do we make sure that we kind of test these things and we don't take anything for granted? You know, what is the right configuration of these products and have we got the price points right? And even through to, you know, we test the messaging on the site and some of that conversion rate sort of optimization stuff through the site. For me, that's the sort of last part of the chain, which is, okay, we're developing all this stuff, but does it actually work or not? And a lot of cases, the answer is yes, it does work but we still need to optimize it kind of more. And so that's the kind of stuff that we're doing all the time, both on the product side and on the messaging side and on the ads. And, and what have been the highlights of your time at Small? Um, it's almost kind of too many to list because, you know, every week kind of brings up something new from, you know, launching new products like we launched kind of washing up liquid or, as I mentioned, cracking a kind of channel like uh, TikTok to make that work for acquiring customers. The one we're most excited about at the minute is our sort of small plus service. So up to this point, we have always shipped boxes to people, individual kind of letterbox sized boxes. So they go individually via Royal Mail, they go through people's letterbox. It's an absolutely great solution. And Royal Mail's actually very sort of CO2 friendly because the postman is pretty much walking past your house every day anyway. 
But increasingly, as we have more products, we have more customers with lots of subscriptions with us. What we've sort of found is that a lot of people are just saying, well, that's a bit crazy. Why don't you send me all this stuff together? But at the same time, we don't want to, as I said earlier, we don't go on a go down as a monthly box or a kind of regular service that doesn't really make sense. So Small Plus is this really nice service whereby essentially look at your next sort of two to three months of orders that you have sort of lined up with small. So maybe there's dishwashers coming in five days and laundry capsules coming in 10 days and then 20 days after that and things. And we basically combine all those orders and sort of say, okay, this is to get you over a kind of 20 pound threshold if you're willing to take. And for some customers, it'll be the next three months of orders. For some, it'll be the next sort of three weeks of orders. We say, if you're willing to kind of take these in one box, then we'll ship it to you next day and we'll ship it by DPD. And DVD offer a kind of great sort of a carbon neutral sort of service. We ship that to them. It's a better service for them. Doesn't cost them any extra, but at the same time, it maintains that individuality of the kind of subscriptions. So you could get a box which is, as I say, has two laundry subscriptions in it, which you get every kind of 20 days anyway, and then one dishwash subscription that you get every 40 days. And then it's also got like two bottles of fabric conditioner in as well, which you only get every six months. It's just a really nice service. It's been designed really well by our kind of product and UX guys. And it's a lovely product because it's a win-win. We obviously going to get to combine it into one delivery, which is great. Customer gets it next day delivery, which is kind of great for them. And it's just going really well. So it's one of those things that's been sort of picked up. You know, customers are kind of liking it. We're getting good feedback on it. From my perspective, there's just a load that we can test and sort of optimize on it and kind of make it even better. But it just feels like, okay, that's a step change and sets us up nightly in the future. So there's things like that that are just kind of really great. And the best thing about it actually is that it, it essentially came from a customer request. So it's one of those things that we went through the full life cycle of we're operating a customer request this, we analyze it and sort of say, okay, how big could this be? We then design it at a sort of, you know, design and product management sort of level. The devs implement it. We kind of get it right in terms of sort of the internal testing. We launch it, it gets great feedback and gives us a whole bunch of extra ideas for the future that we can go and sort of develop further. And yeah, it's just really nice when something like that lands and, and that's something we've been talking about for about the last nine months. So the fact that we've sort of launched in the last month is really exciting. Oh yeah, that's brilliant. And lovely for customers too, because, you know, it's another touch point for them to realize how much you're thinking about them and caring for them as well. Yeah, yeah. And also there's some customers that doesn't work for us. So, you know, the, one of the conversations I've been having today is like, oh yeah, how do we make sure that the customers do that, you know, I need this to go through my letterbox, go, okay, that's fine. We can still do that as well. And it makes it work for them at that level as well. Brilliant. Isn't it? I just love the idea of small. Like I said, like from the website down to the way it's organized, I just think it's a great, really, really great brand. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting, actually. When I first got the small, you know, I was like, oh my God, these design guys are a bit, you know, they're a bit over the top in terms of like making this stuff look nice and being all, but actually it all adds up to a really, really great experience. And I have to say, I'm now an absolute kind of convert. Just everything from the boxes to the kind of copy on the website to, you know, the kind of look and feel of everything. It just works really well. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that kind of sums it up. It just works. That's what it's designed to do. So yeah, but hopefully we'll have continue to have a lot more success off that on that yeah, basis. Yeah, for sure. Listen, you need Lee to watch it. Listen, Neil, that was a real pleasure. It's great to talk to you. Yes, thank you very much for having me on. I, I really enjoyed the chat. That was Neil Campbell, Chief Growth Officer at Small. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. And don't forget that you can catch up on all of our previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for now. So from me, Sarah Coboyle, and all of us at Mortu, take care and bye-bye.